morning, Christ Central. My name is Annie, and I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes from Psalms chapter 7 to 10, uh, Psalms chapter 27, verse 7 to 10, and 13 to 14. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Thank you to to Annie for the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. We continue through this Shalom series. Today is for for all the lonely people in the world. Uh, I preach this to my own heart. This is actually beginning with me, and uh, I hope that God would so minister and bless you as you listen to this. Uh, In 2018, I found that there's a new cabinet position that was created uh, in the United Kingdom entitled a minister for loneliness. A minister for loneliness was created. This is before the pandemic Uh, And of course, you know, virtually we're more connected than ever. You can have more contacts. You can literally get in touch with anyone around the globe at any time. And yet, of course, all the studies show people are starving all the more for meaningful, deep human uh, human uh, interaction. Uh, 2019, a blog by the Scientific American Uh, Some scientific studies show that loneliness uh, actually shortens your lifespan by 15 years. And it is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Not quite sure how reputable or accurate that is. But that's according to a 2019 study. You know, as we open up this psalm, I've got four parts for us. First is all kinds of lonely, different kinds of lonely Second is how we stay lonely. Third, the one and only. And fourth is shalom. Shalom. Okay? All kinds of lonely. Second, how we stay lonely. Third, the one and only. And then fourth, shalom for all the lonely people in the world. Uh, Different kinds, different kinds. You know, verses two and three, which we did not read, speaks of arch enemies, adversaries, foes of the psalmist. And then, of course, we pick up right here in verse 12. Verse 12. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So here the psalmist evidently is suffering from false accusations, slander. They're not true with the most violent, vicious intentions behind them. This is a social type of forsakenness, there is a loneliness that comes. Very painful. Then we move backwards to verse 10, which he wrote, from my father 
and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Of course, the closer you get, the ones you grew up with, your own family, if you feel neglected, forsaken, marginalized, maybe some of you, as you listened to Pastor Jimmy's message last week on family origins, you've been separated for quite some time. There's a lot of bitterness or resentment there. Maybe going through a season you're not on speaking terms. There's been a falling out. You want nothing to do with them or maybe they want nothing to do with you. Maybe you feel you've embarrassed or you've brought disrepute, uh, disrepute to your family's name. Whatever case, this is all the more painful. This is not only a social falling out, but a familial one. And again, moving backwards here in verse 9 now, the psalmist writes... To God, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you who, who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. Oh, God of my salvation. Oh, God of my salvation. Now here, we know that God does not move far away. He does not forget his people. And yet, we so often, like the psalmist, can feel like God is far, far away, that he is far off. And that somehow God doesn't want to have to do anything with you. So here's social, here's familial, here's spiritual dimensions of loneliness. Feeling all alone. And then of course there are all kinds of natural and unnatural causes. Uh, you know, certain occupations I think by nature invite loneliness. I talked to our missionaries, David and Susanna Nam, overseas in Taiwan. After their first year, it's not just the language, but the cultural difference. Most missionaries, and actually most pastors, what they deal with is not so much of the heartache of people. We love people. It's the feeling that you are alone in your calling or your vocation. As you may know, that law enforcement these days, that... Is not the most popular job. A lot of law enforcement is literally suffering under fire. Uh, you take any kind of leadership positions, a lot of leadership positions, you know, when you have this crisis or burden, you feel like you don't want to burden other people or you may not trust to burden other people. And then there's confidentialities attached to it that you must keep secret. And so that ends up being a very unprecedented, lonely place. Of course, now we have all the distancing and isolation that we are recovering from, from COVID. You might have had loved ones that suffered in the hospital or even passed without being able to touch them. My own mother this weekend, who turned 75, was supposed to come up and spend the weekend for her birthday, but had an injury. Thanks be to God, no bone was broken, but she's in a hospital now, and hopefully she'll recover very soon. There are debilitating injuries, there's aging, there's illnesses that are chronic and so severe, there's disability, all kinds of things take its course. Now, for some of you in this room, this really might, may not hit home today, but nature will run its course. 
I mean, a sobering thought, right, is there's probably somebody in this room that will hear of or witness the death of everybody else. Someone will outlive everybody else here. Um, if you have come back from a funeral or you've said goodbye to your little one, your child who is now an adult, and he or she has to leave home, man, that house, that home that you return to, it's eerily empty and quiet. All kinds of loneliness, different kinds of lonely. The psalmist suffered them. Now, here's how we go about to guarantee that you will stay lonely. Two tendencies. First is independence. Independence. It's a radical independence. It's, it's the avoidance comes to strong, kind of type A, aggressive types, goal-oriented types. You'll take this route, well, I really don't want to feel weak and needy. I don't want to feel vulnerable. I don't actually want to tell people that I need them. So I'd rather prove to myself that I'm stronger than that, so I'm going to live a life of autonomy, independence. I am fine without you. This is the attitude is, I can live fine. I'm actually better off without you. I don't need you at all. This is a life full of freedoms and whims. You keep all your options open. You want to maintain all your freedoms. And of course, this is an idolization of autonomy. And it can breed loneliness. It can breed selfishness. It can bring about a commitment and submission phobia. We just sang in that song, submission, therefore I am at rest. You know, commitment and submission phobic people, these are key ingredients to any lasting love relationships. Independence, independence. You know, that's how I'm going to make sure that I don't feel the pangs of loneliness. A second tendency, which is the reverse, codependence. Codependence. This is the attitude of, I cannot live without you. I need you too much. These are people who always have to hang out, always go out, always be with people, always be in love. They might have to hook up, always be in some kind of romantic relationships. They have to feel that thrill. They have to know that somebody really, really is enamored with them. This is codependence, where I need you too much. Whereas independence is, I don't need you at all. There's an ancient hit, hit song. Of course, I say ancient because this is the 1950s for a lot of us. Roy Orbison, this was a hit in which he sang uh, in the chorus, Only the lonely know the way I feel tonight. Only the lonely know this feeling ain't right. Maybe tomorrow, a new romance. No more sorrow, but that's the chance. You've got to take if your lonely heart breaks. Now, you've heard that opposites, polar opposites attract. Because you find in that other potential partner so refreshing, so challenging, so different, and it's just so new at first. And, you know, the opposite psychologies and makeups of particularly different genders, tendencies, are meant to come together to be complementary and harmonious. But under the reign of sin, under the influence of sin, those who are independent, 
become abusive and crushing in their independence. And those who are dependent get crushed and abused in their codependence. You know, after Adam and Eve fell, which means they chose to live a life apart from God, that that they, they could live better off without God, God pronounces a curse. This is the result of sin, not a remedy for sin. When he speaks to Eve, the woman, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and God pronounces the results of the fallout of sin. Again, not its prescription. He says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband, and your husband's desire shall be to rule over you. That word desire is an over-desire. It's a desire that's hyper. It's excessive. It's idolatrous. Oh, ladies, you tend to be, tend to be, over-desire, relationship, codependence, you need a man. You know, I'm the father of two daughters. I've counseled and loved on so many of you. And I try every time I preach to you to show that I want to love on you. And I have said this to many, 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 many ladies of our church as I pray for you. I have asked you straight up, why do you continue to stay with that guy? Why would you stay with that man? This is a result of sin, not the remedy. And then God turns around to Eve and says, and his over-desire will be to rule over you. And of course, many brothers and men and fathers and husbands and those who are dating and those who are thinking about getting engaged and those who are about to be married, I have also told you, why would you ever treat a woman like that? Why would you talk to her like that? And if you have, why would you not repent of that? Oh, for all the lonely people in the world, this is how we're going to stay lonely. Well, I'm going to live a life of autonomy and independence. I'm not going to admit that I'm strong or weak or needy. But on the other hand, I'm going to just throw myself into the love of another, another person. So it's either myself or another person that maybe can come along and assuage and cure And heal that hurt that we all feel in the deepest places of our hearts. Oh, so now we come to the one and only. The one and only in verse 10. Verse 10. In which the psalmist wrote, My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. But the Lord will take me in. Have you ever met somebody who always takes you in? Their home is always open for you. There's a bed for you. It's a place of safety, rest, no judgment, no questions. You can just go to sleep. And you can be fed. And you can take your time. And you have all the space in the world until you feel like you can get back up. A place that will take you in. A person that will always take you in. 
even after you've tried all your other options and they have shut the door. Even after everyone else, including your own mom and dad, don't want you to come around or call them again. The psalmist here says, but the Lord always takes me in. This psalm precisely was written to teach and drive and encourage us to seek God in the face of Jesus. I seek your face, O Lord. Hide not your face from me. Please don't throw me out. Do not cast me off. How can we continue to come to God? Well, it's because God came to us in Jesus. And we get to see and sense his goodness. Verses 13 and 14 says, Wait on the Lord until your heart takes courage. You will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Truth be told, next to Psalm 23, this is the second most prayed psalm I've ever prayed of all the psalms. Wait for the Lord until your heart takes courage, until you see and believe and feel and sense the goodness of God, and it will come. So yeah, certainly yes, this psalm is meant for you, for me, all the lonely. There is someone who will always take you in. Now, for the past couple of weeks, my mind and heart is not able to escape. There's almost been a daze, a heaviness to it with all that's going on in, 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 uh, in the Ukraine. And you know, the church universal is called to care for and pray for and give toward those who are suffering and to pray for peace and to pray for the repentance of tyrannical, crazy rulers and leaders on a power trip. That's including our, our country as well. But while the church universal is called to do all that, of course, please, let me tell you, your Pastor, no one church like Christ Central of Southern California can do all those things all the time for all the world because there is devastation everywhere. And of course there's history. Of course there's context. Of course there's so much geopolitics and money going on in that conflict. I am well aware. But I can't escape it because I spent a year in Croatia and all of my students were people who were scattered from Eastern Europe. They were one of the most endearing, gritty, hungry bunch of students I got to live with for a year and teach in that graduate course of seminary. So, here's what my mind has been racing through this week. What would it be like? How vivid, how desperate would it be for you to be in their shoes and pray Psalm 27. For instance, look at verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And then again it closes in verses 13 and 14. Wait for the Lord. I will believe and sense and feel the goodness of God. Wait for the Lord until your heart takes courage. Oh, how my Ukrainian brothers and sisters must be praying this psalm. And how we get to pray with and pray for them. 
So Psalm 27, of course, is for you to seek the face of God in Jesus, for you to desperately come to him because the Lord will always take you in. And of course, Psalm 27 is for those who are literally going through the ravages and the ruin of war. But let's move one step further. Let's move another step further. Could Jesus Christ himself have prayed Psalm 27? How could Jesus Christ himself have prayed Psalm 27? How did he? Well, here is the beloved, perfect son of God who suffered the deepest and cosmic breakage a betrayal a rejection an abandonment by God his own father hey forget the cigarettes forget about it it's going to shorten your lifespan forget how people whipped him on his back the final night and he probably didn't eat or drink for that whole night Forget the nails, forget the thorns, forget the spitting and the mockery, forget the crown of thorns placed upon his head. What I believe hurt and crucified and killed Jesus the most was when he wailed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The loss of his own father in heaven. That cry, that separation, that rippage that Jesus must have prayed and felt when he cried out, Psalm 27. And my friends, you do know it's because Jesus was forsaken. You can never, ever, ever be forgotten. Do you not know that the gospel means because Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Why have you been, why have you left me alone? Why have you left me in the dark? This is why you and I get to cry out in worship. My God, my God, why do you always take me in? How is it you always take me in? Oh God, how do you always welcome me in with open arms? With all the stuff that I bring to the table. You see, there's one and only, there's only one and only. Who says, I'll take you in. I'll take you in. You can always try your other lovers. You can exhaust them all. You can play the harlot you can be divided. You can be forgetful. You can be a wretch. But the Lord will always take me in. Now, shalom. Shalom for all. You see, shalom, this whole series, is much more than a solo, spiritual, private experience with God. Although it begins with that. Shalom here. We are not simply talking about you are heaven bound. You are adopted. You are forgiven. You are justified. You are loved. You have a Lord who will always take you in. 
Hallelujah, praise God. That deserves eternal wonder and thanks. But shalom moves well beyond your solo, private experience. It actually describes the deepest longings of every human heart and all of humanity together and how we grow. You know, the Bible never denies our God-given, God-like ache for satisfying and real companionship and community. And it is the Bible alone, better than any other book, that diagnoses that longing and creates and offers it as our remedy. What is striking, however, about the Bible is how rarely it recommends, if ever, that sexual activity or sexual intimacy is going to really heal your loneliness from its bottoms. Far from it. The Bible alone recognizes and never denies our deepest longings and prescribes companionship and community. But should you fill it? Should you fill it with sexual intimacy? Is that the only way to go? The necessary way to go? Far from it. Now, C.S. Lewis, in a book entitled Four Loves, distinguishes four different kinds of loves. These are all Greek terms. I believe they are all also revealed in Scripture. And he differentiates the first kind of love, which is the most natural affinity. It's the most easy kind. You don't even have to try. We all have it. It's storge. Storge in four loves. Storge is affection. Okay? Affection. Just natural affinity. You just love puppies. I love puppies. Especially golden retrievers. Nothing more adorable and cuter in the world. I love puppies. I say the word love. But this is a storge love. Some of you love, love dramas. You love that drama program going on. Some of you love BTS. I mean, it's crazy how much you love BTS. Some of you love Bernie Sanders and everything about Bernie Sanders. This is storge. Storge. Second type of love, eros. Eros. We all know what that comes from in Greek, erotic. This is falling in love. This is romantic love. This is a sensual love. Third type of love, phileo. Friendship love. Love in friendship. Fourth, last but not least, agape. Agape love. This is a sacrificial, self-sacrificing, a serving, serving type of love. Now, of course, in our culture, which two do we put first? Which two always comes first? Storge and Eros. It's like, I like that. I feel attracted to that. It's beautiful. I think it's going to make me feel good. So we just kind of act on it by impulse, Storge and Eros, and then say, oh, I'll just work out the rest later. But the Bible reverses this order. The Bible never puts in order what you and I in our culture continue to put at one and two. The Bible reverses this order. In fact, when Adam was exclaiming in poetry, enraptured by his wife Eve, who was pristine and beautiful, and it wasn't just because she was naked. In the Hebrew, Adam loses it in poetry because she was given to him as his halut. Halup. In Hebrew, that means best friend. 
Adam exclaims with completion and joy for his loneliness, not because of Storge or Eros, but because of a best friend has been given to him. And my philosophy or confirmed suspicion through the entirety of my life and has never been actually derailed to this day, but it only gets stronger and stronger and stronger. What makes the whole world go round? What makes your marriage go round? What sustains communities and societies? What actually builds healthy churches and all small groups and relationships and anything that you call love is best of friends. It's people who learn to become best of friends, who practice agape love, giving up of themselves. Because you know all their passions are going to come and go, sentimental and sexual. But what remains into eternity is God himself, who is agape love, in First John chapter 4, and it's friends who will stay friends into forever. You know, just consider it this way then. Consider, how did Jesus come after you? Why would Jesus come after you? What moved Jesus to want you? Because you have the same natural affinities, just, you, just, you just meshed, just hit it off. Oh, we're just like soulmates always from the start. Same politics, same holiness. Same morality, same integrity, same passions, same interests. Oh, you know, Jesus was just naturally attracted to me. You know, you, you do know my, like, track record, right? Like, you understand what I've done in my life. Jesus was just naturally moved and attracted towards me. Now, the Bible would describe you and I as the furthest thing of someone who would be impressive or attractive to Jesus. Instead, here's why Jesus came. He says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of God, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. You see, He came to give you first agape love, a sacrificial serving love. And I think one of my favorite passages in all the Gospels, John chapter 15, verse 15, where Jesus turns around to His disciples and says, I once called you to become my disciples and servants, but now I'm going to call you friends. Jesus himself calls and changes people to follow him, to serve him, worship him. Yes, give all the glory and honor to him. But ultimately, something changes where Jesus tells his own followers and disciples. But ultimately, I want to now call you friends. You become someone I pour out phileo, love upon. Now you see, here's what this all means then. Here's what this all means for shalom. When you offer agape and phileo first, you reenact the gospel. When the people of God who is called the church love people not for what you get, not for what you can get out of it, not even for how it may immediately make you feel. When you love people, not for what you get, but what you can give. All that you can give, you recreate shalom.
See, if you're not married right now, or once was married, or hoping to be married, let me remind you again as your pastor, thank God for this. Thank God for it. It is a calling. Relish it. Learn and grow fully in it. And pursue and cultivate friends. Lovers come later. Pursue and offer and create friendships. Lovers may come later. And if lovers don't even come later, you are in the company of the most satisfied, richest, joyful person who ever lived, who stayed as you are so you can stay as you are. And if you are married, if you are married, what does it mean to have shalom even amidst marriage, but while you feel and still feel lonely. Uh, this week, my wife Sunny and I were walking around the mall to get, grab a quick lunch and thinking about this and the upcoming messages in this series. I asked Sunny, Sunny, what do you think? Marriages are so hard, especially at our life stage. We're like midlife of everything. Midlife in our age, midlife of our marriage. Kids are... Leaving home pretty soon in a year and a half will be empty nesters. Why do you think marriages struggle? Why is it so hard? And she just blurted out, they just don't like each other. People just don't like each other. It was a truth drop. Thank God when she said that, she was holding my hand and clinging to my arm. You know, in marriages... How about pursuing a kind of friendship where you surprise him or her with acts of love, service, and sacrifice? You put that primary, you put that first, and you actually refocus and say, that's actually what's going to matter most. As the C.S. Lewis back in the same book in Four Loves, here's what he observed. What an insight. He wrote, being in love first moved them to promise fidelity. That's the storge, that's the eros. This quieter love. Phileo, agape. Enables them to keep the promise. It is on this love that the engine of marriage is run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. Sure, Storge and Eros might have started it. But what's the engine that it runs upon? What's the engine in which it gets purified? What's the engine upon which it completes? What's the engine upon which it actually gets better? Friends. And agape love. And can I just tell this to my brothers and sisters here? When the storge and the eros fade, and they surely will, but we cultivate and practice phileo and agape above all else. See what God renews. See what God brings back in spades. Because maybe for the first time, I am learning to love someone not for what I can get, not for what I feel like I can get, but for what I can give.
Because that is how Jesus loves me, loves you, and that is how he continues to love you. There is one and only, one and only who always takes me in. But you and I, if he is the one that always takes you in, you must turn around and offer precisely what Jesus offers you. And this is how we create and give shalom for all the lonely people in the world, the love of God that has been given to us in Jesus. And that is the love that lasts forever, forever. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm. God, we thank you that you invite us in, you take us in. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak and serve and heal and meet us in all the different areas we so need, even now. And I pray that you would renew us in the love that only Jesus can give and that that love would be given away by your power, by your spirit. Oh, Lord, hear us, we pray. For we pray this together in Jesus' name, amen.